Hello. Hey. Hello, Chris oh. Franz. Hey, look at that. Oh, nice. Here I am, live in living color. You certainly you are. A, wave, a much better room than, uh, than either of us are in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Hey, we went in another room. I know. So <laughs> this, I is the, yeah. this one is a vintage Gretsch from 1964. I paid a wow. fortune for that thing. <laughs> but it, but I I love it. It's it's the one I I leave set up all the time in my music room here. That's great. Yeah, and it gets played regularly. Yeah, it does. Although Tina said it, I took it on stage one time, and Tina said, "Chris, it's not loud enough." So, <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it records very. You know, this is what Charlie Watts from the Stones would play. Yeah. <laughs> In those, he still plays Scratch, but I think he updated his uh, kit since then. But and that is a Robert Rauschenberg it print is. poster of uh, Talking Heads speaking in tongues. Oh, beautiful! Oh, oh my gosh! Signed, yeah. signed by the artist. Yeah, really nice. That's so fun. <laughs> That's an inspiring room. Yeah, this is. <laughs> I'm trying to stay on brand here. <laughs> certainly are yeah oh i'd say you are yeah mm, i can look at that room all day long. We were- it's like and i'm also we're looking at the books you know like the late night uh you know when watching all the late night hosts now you try and see the books in the background yes <laughs> good luck reading those yeah, no, yeah. Not a those chance. are all those are all rock and roll books and <laughs> Well, music, memoirs, and, you know, artist bios and things. All right. So you're the king of segues. Apparently, you have <laughs> one yourself that's coming out. Yes. You have a music memoir. So, for Holly, Holly, from the <laughs> What Different, we are on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Um, Holly, please tell us what's going on here. Who are we talking to? And what, who do we have? We are welcoming drummer, Hall of Fame drummer, rock and roll Hall of Fame drummer, Chris Franz. From Talking Heads, from Tom Tom Club, from Compass Point All Stars. <laughs> Is that can I say that? Is that a band you know, officially? I look, actually, I I'm not officially one of the Compass Point All Stars, <laughs> although although I know them all and I have utmost respect and all. But I, I, I did the Compass Point All Stars were uh, a bunch of guys that played on Grace Jones's records mm-hmm. and also. Uh, Joe Cocker and a number, Gwen Guthrie. They played for a number of island artists, and and uh, I, I somehow I got into a couple of photographs with them, so people think I was one of them. But I I, I can't say I was because uh, that wouldn't be fair to the to all of them. <laughs> okay, I wasn't totally sure because you were we we both of us read the book. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And so understood you were involved with them, but yeah, well, I didn't realize that you didn't actually play. There was a lot of uh, cross pollination there, and and sometimes we did play together, but but uh, not officially. You weren't an official Compass Compass Point All Star. Okay. <laughs> I did. Live, we did live there, but but the All Stars were a, were a specific unit that was selected by Chris Blackwell to back up Grace Jones. And they were like a super group. uh, The guitarist was from England. Keyboard player was from Nigeria by way of Paris. 
Sly and Robbie on bass and drums were from Jamaica. and Mikey Chung on guitar. They called him Mao because he looked just like Chairman Mao. <laughs> <laughs> Still does, actually. <laughs> Mikey Chung on guitar and Sticky Thompson on uh, percussion. Those were the okay. Compass Point All-Stars. Okay, and that was a fun point in the book, and I know that we will get, but, get there, but the book <laughs> is called Remain in Love, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, Tina. Yeah. Did you have to figure out what Which, order you wanted that in? <laughs> well, well, I thought about it for a while, and, and I figured that a lot of people who would be interested in buying my book, like browsing, it might be Talking Heads that initially gets them interested in it. I mean, I have no delusions about that. I mean, people want to read about talking heads, but I would say Tina is the star of the book. (laughs) That's, that is what I found. I really found that, that yes, of course, talking heads. If I was, if I, we were not talking to you and I was just a, a fan of rock and roll, the Tina, I thought the talking heads would draw me in, but Tina had the greatest impact, I think for me. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. She's, um, She's a, a wee powerhouse, you know. She's yeah. really something. Well, you, you talk about in the book about how she did not want to be a part of the band because <laughs> this was, I, I mean, in the 70s, I guess it was unheard of to have a, a female member, band member. And she was yeah. part, and I guess she kind of subscribed to that philosophy for for a little bit. Well, I think she she probably correctly assumed that that the uh, rock and being in a rock and roll band was kind of like a a guy thing a boys club rather not not a guy thing a boys club and and there there was a lot of shall we say sexism on display uh in the in those days with rock and roll bands and and tina loved rock and roll of course but she said Oh no 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 no! You guys do that. I'll I'll be supportive in any way I I can, but no, I'm not going to join the band. And I I originally asked her in 1972, mm. and it it took until 1975 for for her to say yes. <laughs> three years. <laughs> yeah. So three three years of trying to be persuasive. As an aside, what would have been her path had she not ended up joining the band? Well, she is a, an excellent painter, and mm-hmm. she had imagined that she would be, uh, you know, a, a, a painter in New York City and showing in galleries and things. And I have no doubt she would have had great success, but I'm glad she chose to play the bass. <laughs> we are, too. <laughs> but actually, that's similar to yourself. Although you, mm-hmm. you played the drums in high school, you gave up the drum. You left your drums in, in your home. I guess that was in is it Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So you left your, your drums at home and you're like, I'm going to the, I guess they RISD. call it RIS, RISD. Yeah. And, yes. and I'm going to be an artist. I, you know, forget the drums. Did you go to RISD and think I'm done being a musician? I, I didn't think I was done being a musician, but I, I think I, I, I thought that I was going to be a painter, you know, <laughs> and uh, maybe a painter who occasionally plays some music or something. And I loved painting, and I was determined that that I was going to, uh, you know, make my mark in painting and uh, the the history of art. But instead, we ended up doing it in the his, history of music. Music is art, but but uh, you know, I I I 
didn't have my drums for the for the first year and by halfway through the second year I was really jonesing to play and so I I asked my dad if if we could drive them up to Providence from Pittsburgh and and he said yes <laughs> now that's, that's support that is crazy because usually I mean you you hear about the artistic uh lifestyle and it's because you move, you go into an artistic life because your parents don't understand and you know they're not supportive of anything and you're, you kind of forge your own path, but you're, uh, throughout this book, it seems like your parents had your back and whatever you wanted. They seem supportive yeah, of they're all very supportive of what you wanted to do. I was very fortunate uh, in that respect. I, I know not every drummer has this. <laughs> has the same. Uh, oh. Not every drummer's parents have the same generosity of spirit. <laughs> I can't think of but, one. <laughs> or guitar players, for that matter. Right. Okay. You did, and actually, going to drums for a, for a second in high school, you said you could still, in your book, you brag that you can still, you still know the cadence. You can still know the march. Oh, yeah. Can you go ahead, bang out the cadence right now? Let's let's put your, let's hear it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I'll, just on the I'll table. Does it have to be on a drum or well, just? No, just on the table. I just want to, I'm kind of like, curious. Let's, can you hear this? Yeah. Like that. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. That's pretty good. Ad infinitum. Yeah, of course. <laughs> did you enjoy the march? I mean, I was in marching band, the drum line as well. Did, did oh, you, you were. Good, yeah. good. Yeah, it was really good fun. I loved it, and I'm sure that that uh, helped you create like a like I need to be part of a band. You know, I still I still do a um, well. We didn't get to do it this year; it was virtual this year. But I I lead um, in my neighborhood. We we have a, a very nice library, and they have a children's parade on the Fourth of July, and, oh. and I I lead that with with a marching drum that my dad gave me when I was 12. It belonged to the to the U.S. Army, and he got it for me. <laughs> and you still use it? I still use it. Oh. Yeah. That's Isn't really that lovely. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Back at RISD, you start up, you hooked up with some people from Berkeley, Berkeley School of Music, and you started a, like a soul band. Uh, and yeah. you, you mentioned another teachable moment was trying to learn how to drum slowly, which is actually tough. <laughs> Why, yeah. why is yeah. that? Why, and why was it valuable for you? I mean, obviously, I mean, take me to the river wouldn't be the same if you couldn't drum slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Which it, that, that's an interesting story, which we'll, we'll get to, but yeah, I just, um, you know, this was a soul band and they like to play, uh, some ballads, some, uh, what, what nowadays they call slow jams and, uh, you know, by the Shy Lights and the Delphonics and groups like that. It took me a, a, I was used to rocking out to like Beatles, Stones, Dave Clark Five, that style of music. And to to play a very slow, lovely ballad was a real challenge for me. But eventually I got, I got the feel, you know, eventually. And regarding um, Take Me to the River, we had been playing that song, like that's an Al Green song. And I guess the only cover we ever did, really. Al Green did it very up-tempo compared to how we recorded it. And we had been playing it up very up-tempo. But then our producer, Brian Eno, said, I think we should slow this song this song down and and make it like play it like as slow as you possibly can without messing up 
so we tried it and and uh sounded great that way you know <laughs> that was yeah that was some great advice <laughs> yeah it uh, was actually you did do i don't know if it's a photographic memory or something but uh you you <laughs> there's a lot of detail in there and a lot of it a lot of set lists are in there um a couple covers you did were uh, like love is all around the trogs and 96 tears yes yes yeah. yes so how did you how did you choose cover songs i mean you know, it's that- well, well, we loved the Trogs. Uh, we, we also used to do um, down at CBGB's I Can't Control Myself by the Trogs. And um, we, but we never recorded any of that. I think, I think Take Me to the River was the only cover that we actually recorded, I think. Because after that, David said, I don't want to, I don't want to have hits with covers. I want to have hits with our songs. And, <laughs> You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> hey, can't blame the guy. Um, no, no, it makes total sense. <laughs> um, stop making sense. Come on. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Talking with Chris Franz, the author of Remain in Love. We're having a lot of fun. We'll stop right here and we'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our chat with Chris France of Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club and more. Well, because you hit on CBGBs, you were talking about CBGBs, which you talked a lot about in the book. Yeah. And it created a really great, we of course, you know, you know of the club and know, you know, somewhat of the history, but you painted a really, really full portrait of the club in those days, you know, being at that club. Well, it was a, it had a real atmosphere. <laughs> We spent a lot of time in, at CBGB's. You know, one of the best things Hilly did, the owner, Hilly Crystal, was if you had ever played at CBGB's, 
you didn't have to pay admission ever again. So it became like a, a place where musicians would would just hang out, whether whether they were playing or not. It was it was like a, a real clubhouse that that way, and uh, everybody exchanged gossip. And some some bands would encourage each other, and other bands would be rude to each other. You know. It's <laughs> good it, incentive, though. To yeah, yeah, it was a place. It was you know you could even get a free beer if the bartender liked you. you know? <laughs> yeah, but, which is important then. Yes. <laughs> yeah, everybody was broke. I made, I made just just over a hundred dollars a week. I think <laughs> that, that was what my day job paid me. Tina got even less because, as you know. She was a woman, and woman got less. Yeah, what was the luck in finding you know a location in New York that that just happened to be in an artistic area? Like, I mean, did you did you know at the time like there something is happening in this area of town? I I know there was uh, the way you found it was kind of uh, interesting. Your apartment, yeah, loved. yeah. I f- I found it in the New York Times industrial section on Sunday, industrial real estate, which is what Tina's brother took where Tina's brother told me I should look because uh, he had a lot of experience in, with lofts. We kn- we knew it was like on the outskirts of Soho. It was, <laughs> it was sort of like in between Soho and, and the East village. Mm. And it was only three blocks from CBGB. So we knew that was a good thing. And uh, yeah, CBGB's was our neighborhood um, bar, you know? Yeah. And you, yeah. And you just happened to be, walking around in that area or what, I mean, did you stumble into CBGB's or did you, how'd you discover well, the club? Because it wasn't really, a, it wasn't really CBGB's back then or was, or was just starting. No, out. it was, it was CBGB's. I had a friend living on Bond street, which is a caddy corner across the Bowery from CBGB. He's a painter. And I went to visit him the first day I was in New York. And he said, you know, Chris, I know you're interested in music and, and stuff and bands and there's something going on at that club across the street cbgb you should check it out <laughs> and i did and that was a really good tip <laughs> Thank you. yeah history being made who knew right yeah <laughs> yeah when i walked in i i, I thought you know the first night no one was there because it was like a wednesday night and there was a couple of guys shooting pool in the back the back room so I heard the pool balls, and I walked back there, and I said, going to be any, any music tonight? And this guy was dressed in a sharkskin, silver sharkskin suit with, like, a purple shirt and a white tie and those big silver sort of Elvis Presley-style sunglasses. And he said to me in a very heavy Mexican accent, uh, no, man, no music tonight, but come back on the weekend. The Ramones will be here. So I thought. Oh, the Ramones. They must be a Mexican band. <laughs> and uh, Surprise. Well, I, came back, I came back on the weekend and I found out they were four guys from Forest Hills, Queens. <laughs> yeah. Those were some great stories also. You're recounting touring with them. Yes. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> For my money, that's one of the best rock and roll tours of all time. Can you imagine today going to see Talking Heads and the Ramones? The Ramones would still close the show because nobody wants to follow the Ramones. <laughs> Not even Talking Heads. 
<laughs> now that that must have been interesting to you because you saw these these four guys that uh, just had this magic on stage didn't necessarily get along off stage. There was always there seemed to be as as you were kind of painting there was there was always something going on. Johnny would say something to and that would irk everyone else or you know there was yeah. always some little thing. Did you make a note of that or like you know even though in your book as well you said you know talking heads had some issues with it within the band that you recognize when we're on stage this is this is something special and we got to keep oh, this yeah. going yeah yes exactly that's that's how i felt <laughs> and your dog I, who is that kind of dog what's yeah. i think it's the ups man <laughs> came you know in these days of covid you get lots of deliveries yeah poppy Hush. Poppy. Nice. That's uh, what kind of dog is Poppy? Poppy's a beagle. I have two beagles, Poppy oh. and Kiki. <laughs> oh. And, uh, they're both very good dogs. But, the, you know, they, they, they <laughs> enunciators, you know. <laughs> we welcome dogs. Yeah. We're dog, we're dog friendly. Set the scene for uh, the creation of, of Psycho Killer. Tina and I had a painting studio at the Rhode Island School of Design that we shared in a building called Car House. And uh, we were very fortunate to get that a studio in that building because the, the rooms were nice and the, the atmosphere was good. But David and I had this little band called The Artistics. Not pretentious at all. <laughs> yeah. we, we, were, we were a very unpretentious band. We, we played cover songs and we played uh, for our friends at parties. And um, Was it just the two but, of you, by the way? No, it was four, a four-piece. Um, and sometimes we had people sit in with us. But it was, uh, you know, we were all RISD students. Mm -hmm. And David came to our studio one day and he said, I've got this uh, song that I've begun, and I, I, I wonder if you could help me with it. And uh, he wanted, in particular, the the middle eight, the bridge of the song, to be in a foreign language. <laughs> and uh, uh, Tina's mother is from France, and she's fluent in French. And and so I said, well, Tina, you speak French. Why don't you, uh, you know, write something? And, and she did. She just sat down right on the spot and wrote this great, like middle eight verse mm -hmm. in so, in what's known as uh, classical French. It's not slang or anything. And I wrote a couple of verses myself. I think I, 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 I shouted out something after we got a few verses, I shouted out something like we are vain and we are blind. <laughs> and Tina said, yeah. And I hate people when they're not polite. And that, <laughs> That got incorporated into the song. <laughs> but the song was Psycho Killer, and it was um, the first song we ever wrote together. And I loved it. I thought it was so good. And it, to me, it sounded like kind of the Velvet Underground meets Otis Redding or something. Mm -hmm. Although David had said he wrote it in the spirit of, to be in the spirit of Alice Cooper, because Alice yep. Cooper was very big at the time. Right. With, with songs like, billion dollar babies and yeah. stuff like that. We started playing Psycho Killer with with the artistics and we uh, we wrote a couple other originals too and so we started ad adding originals to original songs to our set. We didn't have very many, we had a few. And uh, 
another one was Warning Sign, mm-hmm. which is uh, on the Talking Heads' second album. That's how that happened. And and when when we did that, I just thought, damn, we should do more of this, and we should we should move to New York and start a band. <laughs> More of the collaboration, you mean? More of the... the yeah, more songwriting, yeah. 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 Is that the way you thought the Talking Heads would be? Or talk, Talking Heads would be? Just <laughs> like always collaborating together? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. And to tell you the truth, that's how it was. You know, yes. uh, some people have this, uh, they imagine this other kind of uh, single bullet theory. Right. But it wasn't, re- it wasn't really a single bullet. It was... Uh, yeah, explain to us, because you mentioned Warning Sign, and in the book you also talk about that, where David almost took full credit for that song. Yeah. How how does a songwriting, yeah. how does songwriting credit work? Once a song is recorded, do you have, is there, well, there's paperwork, or how do you agree on what, who wrote what? That's a good question, you know. I, I think <laughs> it, when people are working together, it's a good idea to have an agreement in advance, uh, so everybody understands what what it is, but what the law says, what publishing law says, is that a song is divided into two parts: lyrics or words, and melody. Now, melody doesn't mean every single instrument on the record. It means the the top line melody, what what the singer would sing. So legally, you know, if you write the lyrics and the melody, then it's your song. But if you're a group of people working together (laughs) and uh, somebody maybe wrote most of the lyrics, but another person came up with the title or came up with the the middle eight section or just came up with some musical event that, that... gets repeated throughout the song and becomes a signature. Well, then it's, it's, it gets more complicated. Some bands handle it by uh, just saying, okay, we're going to split everything four ways, no matter what. And other, other bands fight about it. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't you, you, you mentioned having a verbal agreement that you were going to share the writing credit. Yes, we did have uh, many times had verbal agreements. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And ultimately, it didn't work out that way. Yes. Not always. Sometimes. The important thing was the end result. And the, in the end, we made some great records together. Mm-hmm. Thank God they still sound good today. I mean, can you imagine? You spent all that time, and now they sound like passe or something. It would be terrible. Oh, yeah. I just I watched Stop Making Sense last night, and it was mm-hmm. it, I was it was thrilling. It's still <laughs> thrilling to see this yeah. band. And that those songs are just, they're timeless. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that, Such a wonderful yeah. thing. I was going to mention about, um, since we're still on kind of band lyrics, um, this, uh, this friend of yours, Mike, Michael Wayne's Eve, he, um, he, he also, he came he had some lyrics for you and also helped you out with something else. Can you explain his? Yes. His, uh, yes. Timeline? He, he was a, another RISD student. He was visiting us in New York. He knew that we were looking for a name for our band. And we, we had we had tried out different names, you know, sort of like we put the letters on the bass drum head, you know, and see how it looked. <laughs> say the name of the see how it sounded. But 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 we hadn't settled on anything. We didn't find we hadn't found the name yet. And um, Wayne one day said, "You know, I've been reading TV Guide." <laughs> <laughs> and, and in TV Guide, they have 
a glossary of television technology terms. And, and at, one of the things is t- a talking head, which is the, uh, the most boring yet also the mo- most informative <laughs> format of broadcasting. I think he said, I think you should call your band Talking Heads. And I was like, hmm, that does sound good. And David thought it was good, and Tina thought it was good. And so uh, that's what it became. And uh, we thought it was especially good because it uh, it didn't uh, sound like any particular type of music or, mm-hmm. or even like a band at all, more like a circus act or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh uh, you know, it didn't sound like a heavy metal band or a psychedelic band or a uh, country band or something. He also, at that time, Wayne gave us the, the lyrics to Artists Only, yeah. the, uh, the song about painting. Oh, oh is that what? Oh, okay. Is that how, why, why would he give you just, he was just writing some lyrics? I don't, or was he, he, not, he, was he, he wrote some lyrics down and he said, I, th- I think one of us, as I, if I remember correctly, one of us said, "Oh, these are really good, Wayne." He said, "You can have them." Wow! So we did. We we built a song around them. That's actually a great drum song. Is that what is you? Um, that that's a fun one. What's yeah. your favorite Talking Heads drumming song that you like? You know, can group <laughs> oh, to? Oh, um, maybe once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 also life during wartime is a lot of fun. E-, e Zimbra, for example, all I play is the bass drum and the hi hat for yeah. the whole song. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that in Talking Head songs, where some like Tina plays the same beat throughout the, the whole song, or you know, yeah, yeah. Listening. We, it's kind of it, it. It's a it's a way to get people to dance, you know, get people up and moving. Works. Okay, so this is a great time to stop. We will return next week as we continue our discussion with Chris Franz, the author of Remain in Love, drummer for Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club. Make sure to follow us. Go ahead, Holly. Where, where can they find us? You can find us anywhere. Look into the ether on uh, Facebook at WDDIM Podcast, on Instagram, WDDIM Podcast. Sign up for our website at WDDIMPodcast.com. So again, until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.